Good morning. How we doing? Wake? All right. I, I got eight hours of sleep last night with my baby. Can you believe that? Yeah, that, it, with, with Casey and I and, and little baby Bennett there, that, that's a first, boy. Then again, my wife didn't get eight hours of sleep, but I did. Sorry, honey. Saturday night, I need a little extra. Well, it's good to be with you again. For those of you who are visiting for the first time, uh, we're really glad to have you here. And we've been going through the book of Philippians, which is in the New Testament. It's one of the letters of the Apostle Paul written to the church at Philippi. And we are now at our second to last study in the book of Philippians. Next Sunday will be our very last study. And so I'm glad that you're here uh, to go through this uh, piece of scripture with us, because it's a good one. But before we do, I wanted to uh, give a little uh, introduction, if you will, to our, to our text today. Our text has to do with peace. And, well, when I think peace, I automatically, I don't know about you, but I automatically think of a beauty pageant. Now, when the contestants are asked the question, what is the one thing the world needs today, what is their answer? World peace. Take a look at this little clip from Miss Congeniality. World peace. Definitely world peace. That's easy. World peace. World peace. What is the one most important thing our society needs? That would be harsher punishment for a parole violator, Stan. World peace. Uh. <laughs> all right, all right. Everybody seen that movie? Before? Seen that? Movie? Most of you have. Some of you have. In the movie, there, Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock. I always get her name wrong. Is an undercover FBI agent, and so that's why she answered the question, "What is the one thing society needs?" She said, "Harsher punishment for parole violators." And then she, of course, follows with the, the, the staple answer, world peace. There's not been a Miss America pageant in which world peace was incited. And world peace is important. We all would love for there to be world peace. But the truth is, there's not been a lot of peace in this world. The truth is that over the, over the entire span of recorded world history, do you know that there have only been 286 years in which there were no wars, no conflicts, no battles? According to historians, through the entire recorded history of mankind, we're talking nearly 6,000 years, well recorded history about 35, 4,000 years or so, 3,500, 4,000, 286 of those years historians claim were peaceful years. Now that is less than 8%. World peace is not something that seems to be attainable in our world today. And yet it's something we should strive for. The questions are where do we find peace? And who can give it? And how is it even attainable? The title of my message today is Peace That Passes Understanding. Peace that passes understanding. 
And we're going to be looking today at what Paul has to say about God's peace, a lasting peace. Take a look, if you will, at Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 4 and go to verse 9. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. Listen to what Paul says. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we know that you are present with us even now through your Spirit. And Father, you are beginning now to open up our hearts and our minds, enlightening our eyes, that we might read your truth and that it might penetrate and conform us to Jesus Christ, your Son. Father, today we earnestly desire peace, your peace. And Paul has some good teaching for how we can appropriate your peace into our life. Help us, Father, to understand what it truly means to be at peace with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, let's take a look. We're going to go verse by verse through uh, our study today. Take a look again at verse 4. Let me read it again, verses 4 and 5. Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, Paul is beginning to make some concluding remarks. You know, when we write an essay, we always have a conclusion. Or when we write a letter, there's usually some concluding paragraphs. Paul is getting to the conclusion of his letter to Philippi. And he's writing to the church, and now he's starting to wind down, if you will, the letter. And he's offering some, 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 some final remarks, some final instructions that he wants to leave imprinted on their hearts. Notice what he says in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It says it two times, the word rejoice. Paul, again, is using this for emphasis. He's saying, I want you to have joy, Philippians. This is a desire of mine. And in fact, it's actually a command there. He says, I, he says, rejoice. You should be rejoicing. And the object of your joy is, of course, the Lord, Jesus Christ. The reason why we are to be joyful is because of Jesus Christ, of what we have in Him, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, 
God's presence with us, rejoice in Jesus Christ, Paul says. And then he goes on to say, let your gentleness be known to all men. Now that word gentleness there, the word gentleness means somewhat of a, of a reasonableness, of a, a fairness, a considerate nature. Paul is saying, I want you to be gentle. And notice the way it's worded in English. He says, let your gentleness be known. Well, in the original language, that's a, a passive command, if you will. Paul is, in effect, saying, I want you to be so gentle that everyone around you has no other option but to know your gentleness. That's a passive command in Greek. I want your gentleness, your, your considerateness, your meekness to be so exuding from you that the people around you will have no choice but to call you a gentle person. Let your gentleness be known to all men. And finally, he says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Now, this word at hand here has the idea of either time or space. It could literally mean that, that Jesus Christ is at hand, meaning he's close to his return, his second coming. He's close to returning to earth. Or it could mean space, that Jesus Christ is literally near you in presence, in spirit. And he's close by you. Well, Paul doesn't indicate which one time or space this might have been. Uh, I believe he's probably referring to time. Because at the end of chapter 3, you'll notice that Paul's talking about the return of Jesus and the transformation of our bodies. So Paul here is saying, hey, I want you to take joy in Jesus. I want your gentleness to exude so much so that everyone around you is forced to know your gentleness. And I want you to do this because Jesus Christ is coming back soon. I want you to do this because the Lord is at hand. Jesus has promised that He's coming back to take the believers home to be with Him and to eventually establish His judgment on earth. And Paul says, in light of that second coming, I want you to get your life right with the Lord. I want you to have joy and I want you to be gentle. Let's move on to verse 6. Paul goes on to say this. Be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be anxious for nothing. You know, the Philippians, as we've been reading uh, and studying through the book for the last few months, the Philippians had a lot of reasons to be anxious. A lot of reasons to be anxious. Number one, uh, Paul was in prison. The one writing this letter was imprisoned. And they loved Paul. And they cared about him. And so they were anxious over Paul. Secondly, uh, Epaphroditus. Remember back in chapter 2. The man that the Philipp Philipp Philippians sent to Paul to care for him was sick. And Epaphroditus had grown gravely ill. So they were worried over Epaphroditus. Third, we could point to the persecution that this church was encountering. They were encountering persecution from the pagan culture around them and most notably from the first century Jews who were very opposed to the message of Jesus Christ. They were very antagonistic of the early Christian church. And that's cause for worry or anxiety. And fourth, we can look at the start of chapter 2 just last week. 
Internally, the church had strife. There were two ladies in the church. If you look at verse 2 of chapter 4, Yodia and Syntyche were their names. And these ladies were bickering and they were fighting. And Paul draws attention to it and says, hey, resolve the situation. Get it right. There was lots of reasons for them to be anxious. But Paul says, be anxious for nothing. And I want you to notice the contrast here. Take a look in red here. He says, be anxious for absolutely nothing. But in everything, I want you to do this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and by supplication. These words here are very similar. Uh, in fact, Paul uses them rather interchangeably. This is somewhat like saying in English, you're in my thoughts and prayers. Um, Paul is saying, but in everything, by praying, by supplicating, by beseeching God, with thanksgiving, he goes on to say, let your request be made known to God. Let your request be made known to God. Now, notice Paul says, in everything, I want this to occur. In all circumstances, in all circumstances, that normally elicit anxiety, I want you to pray and beseech the Lord. In all circumstances that would normally elicit anxiety and worry, I want you to pray instead. And I don't think we, we, we look at this in verse 6, and, and that's nice teaching, but I think in, in, in practice that is very, very difficult to do. I don't know about you, but the last thing I want to do when I'm frustrated or angry is to count to ten. Right? How many of you have heard, count to ten if you're angry? Okay? How many of you actually count to ten when you're angry? Uh, not, not too many of you. Why? Because we're caught up in the moment. We're angry. Or we're frustrated. And the last thing we want to do is stop and count to ten. Or stop and pray. Or stop and, and just take a moment of pause to get our mind in a proper perspective no person, normally, when they're anxious or frustrated or angry, it is not our natural desire to stop and to pray for God's help. And so I ask the question, how can I remind myself to pray and ask for God's help in the midst of an anxious or frustrating situation? How can I remind myself to pray and ask God for help in the midst of an anxious or frustrating situation? Simple question. Um, I would begin to answer this question by, by, by asking two more questions. And I want you to take a look at these questions. Take a look at the first question. To answer this question, I, I would ask you this first and foremost. Number one, do I believe God can handle the situation better than I can? Better than me? Now, you might be thinking, well, of course He can. But really, in practice, when you're caught up in the moment and you're dealing with an anxious, worrisome, frustrating situation, do you, have you in your being, in your personal beliefs, truly, truly grasped that God is more capable than you of solving that situation? Do you believe that? Can God handle the situation better than I can? Better than me? The second question I would ask that you ask yourself is do I believe God is concerned enough to handle the problems in my life? 
You see, oftentimes we, we have the right mindset that, yes, I know God is more capable than I am of solving this problem. But we don't want to bother him. But we don't want to ask him for help. Because in our minds we think, well, we're just little peons on this earth. And how could an almighty God be remotely concerned with my petty problem? How could God be even remotely concerned with my little anxious situation, with my little dilemma? Some of us don't believe God can handle the situation better than us. We believe we are more capable of solving it than the Lord. And others of us believe that God is simply not concerned in our time of trouble. We believe that God is not to be bothered by such a petty situation. But you know what? The scriptures tell us again and again and again that God is very capable. He is the most capable of solving our problems, of dealing with our anxious and worrisome matters. He is the most capable person to accomplish solving our problems. And secondly, you know what the scriptures tell us? That he is intimately concerned with your problems. Intimately concerned with your burdens, the load on your back, the things that cause you anxiety. Let me read you a scripture that's not up there, but this, this is from the words of Jesus. He was in particular talking to the Jews who had been burdened by the Old Testament law and by, by following the commands word for word and letter by letter. But these words apply to us today with respect to worry and anxiety. Look, listen to what Jesus says. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let me read it one more time. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He's capable and he's concerned. He's capable and concerned. And if we can answer yes to these two questions, that God is more capable than I am, and that God is concerned, and I know he's concerned, I would then add to that, we need to immerse ourselves in the study of God's Word because that's where we find His capability. And that's where we find His concern for us. If we are immersed in God's Word, if we're reading on it, dwelling on it, meditating on, it, on God's Word, letting the Spirit of God transform us, we will be more apt in times of anxiety to turn to prayer. And that is precisely what Paul is asking us to do. Turn to prayer. Turn to the Lord in prayer in your anxious situation. Let's get back to verse 6. Verse 6, again. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now the Spirit of God who changes us by the reading of, of His Word is also the one who gives us what? A spirit of thanksgiving in the midst of our prayer. Not only will we stop and pray in those moments of despair, but also our prayers will be filled with gratefulness 
and thanksgiving when we are maturing in Christ. How can this possibly be? How could it be that in a time of anxiety, when I'm troubled about something, how could it be that I could pray and actually pray with gratefulness about this anxious situation? How is that possible? Paul shed some light about this in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 4. Look what he says. He says, we also glory in tribulations. Why do we glory in tribulations? Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. You see, the mature believer, the mature Christian does not get incessantly angry and frustrated when they're faced with a troubling situation. Sure, they might get angry for a time. And they might get frustrated for a time. Those are natural human emotions. But I'm talking about lasting frustration. I'm talking about lasting anxiety, lasting anger. A mature believer in Jesus Christ who believes God is capable, God is concerned, and immerses themselves in the Word of God, letting the Spirit of God transform them, that person will see the light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. They will see that their trials produce perseverance. Their trials produce character. Their trials produce hope. It's almost as if, and I sometimes use the illustration, you ever see a, a regular photo? A four, what is it, 4 by 6 3 by 5 What's the regular size photo? 4 by 6 photo, okay? You see, you see a photo, right? And imagine you're looking at a, a family photo, if you will. The whole family. Say there's 100 people in the family. You're at a family reunion, and you're looking at the little 4 by 6 and you realize that some people are cut off, if you will. But then you see the portrait the landscape view, if you will, and you get the larger portrait, and what do you see? You see the whole family. You see the big picture. In effect, when we're dealing with trials and tribulations, oftentimes people just see the four by six. They just see the trial. They just see the troubling situation. And what they fail to see is the landscape. What they fail to see is what God is going to do as a result of this. As a result of the troubling situation, God still has something else in mind. He's going to build in you perseverance. You're going to be made a person of better character. You're going to be made a person who has hope in the Lord. And that only comes through trials, might I add. That only comes through trials. You would not get perseverance if you didn't have trials. You would not be a person of character if you had nothing to deal with. Character is precisely something that someone has because they've gone through trials. So mature believers, if you want to be mature, God has to be capable. You need to believe that He is more capable than you. You need to believe that He's concerned with you. You need to immerse yourself in the Word of God, letting the Spirit of God transform you and then we will see the perseverance, the character, and the hope that comes from dealing with the anxious situations. What are you dealing with now? What is it in your life? Everyone has something right now that's causing you anxiety. Is it your job? Uh, is it your marriage? Is it your kids? What is it that's causing you anxiety? Paul says, pray about it. And find 
gratefulness in it. Thank God for what's going to come out of it. And you will mature in Christ. You will become more like Jesus Christ in doing so. In the most difficult of circumstances, Paul says, don't worry, pray. And those of us who are justified, those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, we have, um, if you will, a natural access to the eternal peace of God. We have eternal peace of God through our faith in Jesus Christ, which gives us eternal life. But Paul's going to go on to talk about a different kind of peace. Paul is not talking about an eternal peace with God, if you will, in the next verse. He is talking about a very present access of peace. A very this earthly peace from God that we're going to see in the very next verse. So take a look at verse 7. Paul goes on to say this. Those of you who are anxious for nothing but pray and have gratefulness, let your requests be made known to God. And look what happens, verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God in yellow up there. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. That is to say that it is beyond all human comprehension. This peace is a peace that no human can manufacture, that no human means can attain. Only something that can come from God. It's of His origin. This peace that passes understanding, also it indicates it comes, that it guards our hearts and minds through or in Christ Jesus. That is to say that God's peace is given to us through the person, through the agent, if you will, of Jesus Christ. Paul uses similar language again back in Romans 5. I wanted to show you the first two verses of Romans 5. Look what he says. He says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, that means we are eternally saved by faith in Jesus, having that, Paul says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, through Christ, we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. What Paul says there is that the peace that we have eternally through faith in Christ, we can also have presently he says, we have access into this grace in which we stand eternally. What we have eternally, that peace, we also can have presently in our life today. That same grace can be appropriated to this life. As we've been studying the book of Philippians, I've used the phrase, laying hold of eternal life. Laying hold of it. Seizing eternal life. That's what Paul's saying here again. He's saying, you have peace eternally, but I want you to have peace now, presently. That only comes by praying with gratefulness in the midst of anxiety. Also, it indicates that this peace will guard our hearts and minds. This peace will guard our hearts and minds. This is a collective way of saying that it will guard our emotions and our thought processes. The, the entire being of our person will be guarded, will be protected, if you will, by the peace of God. Our entire being will be protected by God's peace. Now, as we look back, we see verses 6 and 7, and Paul is saying, 
We get peace by praying with gratefulness. Laying our request before the Lord, trusting Him, knowing that we're going to receive something even in the midst of this trial. We get peace by doing that. It's a, it's a rather uh, passive peace, if we will. Uh, God gives us the peace simply through communion with Him, through praying and speaking with Him. But now Paul's going to go on to say in verse 8, he's going to say, but I also want you to be very proactive in finding the peace of God in your life. I want you, he's going to talk about what we're to put our mind on, what we're to do in order to also elicit the peace of God. And in effect, Paul is saying here that we need to be participating in the peace of God. We need to find ways in which we can also bring in, usher in, if you will, the peace of God in our life. God offers us protection, but he also expects us to be active and to be doing what we need to be doing. And I, I kind of liken this to uh, a little uh, story, if you will. When I was, a, I was a camp counselor, how many of you have ever been a summer camp counselor? Raise your hand. Summer camp counselors, a few of you, okay. How many of you actually counseled junior hires in the summer? All right, Lloyd, Lloyd has, okay. Lloyd, uh, how is it counseling junior hires? Are they, uh, are they easy to counsel or not? Piece of cake. Piece of cake. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Well, I'm counseling these junior hires at Forest Home Christian Camp up in uh, Forest Falls, California. And sure enough, what do they want to do? They want to go out and they want to uh, put toilet paper all over the girl's cabin. And so I oblige like a good counselor and I say, okay, we're going to go out at, at 2 a.m. We're going to go through the, uh, the dried up creek, jump over the rocks, you know, crawl through the rocks, and we're going to get to the girl's cabin and we're going to put toilet paper all over it. And that'll be lots of fun. So they're all revved up. They're, they're getting excited. They got the toilet paper ready, these little kids. And so we get out there, and it's pitch black. And if you know uh, the Forest Falls area, you know there's, there's it's beautiful look up, and there's stars everywhere. But it, but, but it is just pitch black, and we're crawling through a creek filled with rocks that are not just little rocks. These are like boulders rocks. So we're crawling over rocks through the dried up creek trying to get access to the ladies' cabin. And we got flashlights and everything. Well, it takes us a good five or ten minutes to, to go even almost from here to the exit through this creek. It just, it's taken a long time because these rocks are big. And lo and behold, I have my flashlight and I shine up ahead. And about to where the sound booth is, I look and I see a black bear in the creek bed. Now, we have, I, I had known that there were bears in, in Forest Falls, California, but I surely wasn't anticipating that on this particular night there would be a black bear about 150 feet away, 200 feet away. And so, that's not 150 feet, but anyhow. So there's a black bear from me to Scott Eichler in the sound booth. And I, as you would probably have guessed, begin to pray very, very strongly Asking the Lord, oh Lord, please do not, do not let this bear come toward us. It has taken us a good five to ten minutes just to crawl from here to the exit through these boulders in the creek. And it's going to take a very long time to get back. And so I'm praying that God will protect us, that he will guard us. And as I'm shining the light on this bear, I tell all the, the boys to freeze and they're just jaw dropped, white and everything. I got about eight of them behind me. And they're slowly starting to crawl back. And sure enough, as I'm shining the light on the bear, just keeping my eye on him, slowly turning around, 
the bear makes a motion like he's going to run at us. He kicks the dirt and growls and takes a few steps right toward us. I, I almost wet myself. And I turn to these boys and I say, RUN! Now what took us five to ten minutes to crawl from here to the exit took us about five to ten seconds to get out of the creek. These junior high boys ran like nobody's business. They were in the cabin way before I was because I was trying to hang back and let them eat me first, you know? The bear did not run after us. He just made a motion like he was, about a five-foot jump, if you will. And, you know, it freaked all of us out. What's my point here? Well, my point is this. We can pray in those situations, and we should pray in those situations. Oh, Lord, protect us at a time such as this. And that's good. But if we just sat there and said, Lord, protect us. We're going to keep walking toward the girl's cabin. Protect us from this bear. We're just going to keep on going. And had not been proactive in running and fleeing the situation, well, you know what might have happened. That bear could have gotten a hold of us. And that wouldn't have gone too well for my counselor review time with the parents. What is Paul doing in verses 8 and 9 that we're about to read? He's saying, yes, pray for the peace of God, but you need to do something too. You need to be proactive. I want you to do this. And this is what he says. Look at verse 8. Verse 8, Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. This is what I want you to do, Paul says. This is what I want you to do. Jesus will protect us. He will guard our hearts and minds through prayer with gratefulness in the midst of anxiety, but I want you to do these things. I want you to meditate on, Paul says. The word in green, meditate, actually has more the idea of to dwell on, to consider, to reckon, to think about, to let it be on your mind. And these are the things that he wants to be on our mind. He wants us to meditate on the things, to dwell on the things that are true, things that are truthful. He wants us to dwell on the things that are noble. This is also a word to, uh, that can be translated reverent, something that, uh, that Paul lists that deacons are supposed to have. They're supposed to be reverent along with their wives, reverent. Third, he wants us to meditate on things that are just, both just from uh, God's perspective and being just as a person. I want you to meditate on things that are just. Fourthly, pure, whatever is pure, holy, chaste. Fifthly, whatever is lovely. And this is more the idea of admirable. What is admirable? Sixth, whatever is of good report. Something that is well spoken of. The next components. He says if there's anything virtue, excuse me, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy. Those are actually used to describe the list, if you will. Paul's saying, and if there's anything else like these things that are both virtuous and praiseworthy, if there's anything else like this list, things that are of God, good things, I want you to dwell on them. 
I want you to be proactive in filling your mind with the things of God. That's Paul's instruction. I want you to be proactive in filling your mind with the things of God. And this, this carries over throughout our entire lives. This includes the music that we listen to. This includes the films that we choose to watch. This includes the people that we choose to associate with the language that we choose to use. This encompasses our entire human experience, if you will. He's saying, be proactive in filling your mind with godly things. Because if you do, Paul's going to go on to say, the God of peace will be with you. If you fail to do this, and instead you slowly but surely fill your mind with things that are not of God, things that are corrupt, if you associate with those who, uh, and what I, when I say associate with, with those who uh, are corrupt, if you will, I don't mean that you can't have acquaintances. I, don't, I mean, Paul says he became all things to all men that he might win some. Uh, I associate with many people with whom I disagree with, maybe on a moral level, with what they're doing. But, but nevertheless, they're not in my company of close friends. They are not the ones that I spend the majority of my time with. Because that would be filling my mind, if you will, with the things that are not of God. And so we need to be careful with what we are filling our minds with. And with who we are filling our minds with. We are not to be isolated as Christians. That is certainly not what Paul says. We are not to be off in a holy huddle. No, we are very much to be in the world, but not of the world. In the world, interacting in the world, but not of the world. Not of its nature. And this meditation, if you will, this dwelling on, is not merely a matter of mind renewal. Because Paul's going to go on to say, I want you to put this into practice. Look at verse 9. He says, the things which you learned, the things which you received, and heard, and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. The things which you learned. Literally, Paul had met with the church at Philippi in A.D. 50 and also probably a couple other times before he went to prison. And he's saying, you saw me do these things. You, you learned from me. I want you to do, do what you've learned from me. The things which you've received. Now this has the idea of actually passing down a tradition. Uh, much like uh, when Paul says, the things that I've received, I've passed down to you in 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins, that he was raised, etc., etc., Paul says, this, there's a chain here. There's a link in the chain. And as you've received from me, so pass it on. So conduct yourselves in that way. The things which you've heard in person and through my letters, and the things which you saw in me when you saw me in person, these things I want you to do, Paul says. In effect, Paul's making the claim that, that he is the embodiment, if you will. He is a pattern. He is an example of Scripture in action. Many people know the Scriptures well. Uh, I know many people who have a very good knowledge of Scripture. But I know fewer still who take that knowledge and who actually have it exuding in their personal life. Some of us have just mere head knowledge. We dwell in the things of God. But Paul's saying it's got to be coupled with action. It's got to be coupled with conduct. And we can't just merely know the Word of God intellectually and yet not have a life that reflects that. That's, that's not the Christian life. 
Others of us, we, we have the conduct, but maybe we, we're not dwelling on the scriptures enough. So it goes both ways. But Paul says, it is possible to embody what the scriptures teach. It is possible to conform to Jesus Christ. Allow the Holy Spirit to change us by dwelling on his word. And he says, the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. This is a little bit different than verse 7. In verse 7 he said, the peace of God will be with you. Now he's saying, the person who gives that peace will be with you. So he's going even further. Uh, probably very synonymous terms here, but, but it's interesting that Paul says, you will receive the peace of God if you pray with gratefulness in the midst of anxiety, anxious situations. And you will receive the person who epitomizes that peace if you dwell on and do the things of God. I think Paul is simply drawing us in, saying, you will draw closer to God the more you do these instructions. Let's go to our application time. What can we learn from this text today? How can we apply this to our lives? What is it that the Lord would want you and I to walk away with today? The first is this. I want to encourage you, uh, those of you who maybe are new and you have never had a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to know this very clearly. Before present peace is possible, we must first encounter eternal peace with God, which is only available by believing in Jesus for eternal life. All that I've been sharing with you today, all that we've read from Paul in verses 4 to 9, means absolutely nothing if you do not have the eternal peace that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. You can't have present peace with God without believing in Jesus for eternal life. And, and that's all it is. It's not a prayer that saves us. It's not, a, uh, it's not some uh, high and mighty confession. It is simply the inner conviction that we believe that Jesus Christ can give us everlasting life. It's the moment you believe that. The moment you believe that, that Jesus gives you eternal life, you are eternally saved. Oftentimes we, we bring that about through a prayer, but let's not lose focus. It is the belief. It is that faith that saves. Secondly, believe God is capable and concerned to help solve your trials. Is He capable or do you think you can do it better? Is He concerned or do you think you don't want to bother Him? No. He is both capable and concerned to help solve your trials. Three, when faced with a trial, pray with thanksgiving, knowing that this testing will produce perseverance, character, and hope. See the big picture. Realize, step back, pray, and realize that God is doing something, even in the midst of this, this troubling situation. And four, be proactive in dwelling on and doing the good things of God. This is most notably accomplished by reading and studying God's Word. The only way you're going to fill your mind with the things of God is by reading His Word, to know what are the things of God. What is it that is true and noble and just? The peace that passes understanding. We are all looking for peace in our life, both eternally and presently. And in order to get that peace, Paul has given us instructions here today. We need to pray with thanksgiving knowing that God will work through this anxious situation, and we also need to dwell on and do the things of God. That is the only way we will get God's peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we know that 
as we survey our, our world today, we see that people are calling for peace, calling for world peace. We hear it at beauty pageants. We hear it from politicians. And yet, Lord, we, we look of, over the course of human history and we don't see peace very often. Instead, we see sin. And we see conflict and strife. And we ask, how can peace possibly be attainable? But Lord, we've learned today that there's only peace that comes from you. You are the only one, Father, who can offer us peace. And you offer it to us eternally when we believe in Jesus Christ, your Son, for eternal life. And you offer it to us presently when we pray with thanksgiving and when we dwell and do the things of God as we meditate upon your word. Father, those of us who are anxious today, those of us who are worrisome, whose spirit is not right, I pray, Father, that today's teaching from your word would help them to appropriate the peace of God in their life today. Let us be at peace, Father. And let us also bring about peace to those around us by sharing this goodness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.